Welcome to the Sagebrush Trail. Stories of the West, from the prairie to the Yukon. I'm Mardell, reading Riders of the Purple Sea by Zane Gray. Chapter 16 Gold As Lassiter had reported to Jane, Venters went through safely, and after a toilsome journey reached the peaceful shelter of Surprise Valley. When finally he lay wearily down under the silver spruces, resting from the strain of dragging packs and burrows up the slope and through the entrance to Surprise Valley, he had leisure to think, and a great deal of time went in regretting that he had not been frank with his loyal friend Jane Witherstein. But he kept continually recalling when he had stood once more face to face with her, and had been shocked at the change in her, and had heard the details of her adversity, he had not had the heart to tell her of the closer interest which had entered his life. He had not lied, yet he had kept silence. Bess was in transports over the stores of supplies and the outfit he had packed from Cottonwoods. He had certainly brought a hundred times more than he had gone for, enough surely for years, perhaps to make a permanent home in the valley. He saw no reason why he need ever leave there again. After a day of rest... He recovered his strength and shared Bess's pleasure in rummaging over the endless packs and began to plan for the future. And in this planning, his trip to Cottonwoods, with its revived hate of Tull and consequent unleashing of fierce passions, soon faded out of mind. By slower degrees, his friendship for Jane Witherstein and his contrition drifted from the active preoccupation of his present thought to a place in memory with more and more infrequent recalls. And as far as the state of his mind was concerned, upon the second day after his return, the valley with its golden hues and purple shades, the speaking west wind and the cool silent night and Bess's watching eyes with their wonderful light, so wrought upon Venters that he might never have left them at all. That very afternoon he set to work. Only one thing hindered him upon beginning, though in no wise checked his delight, and that in the multiplicity of tasks planned to make a paradise out of the valley, he could not choose the one with which to begin. He had to grow into the habit of passing from one dreamy pleasure to another, like a bee going from flower to flower in the valley, and he found this wandering habit likely to extend his labors. Nevertheless, he made a start. At the outset, he discovered Bess to be both a considerable help in some ways and a very great hindrance in others. Her excitement and joy were spurs, inspirations, but she was utterly impracticable in her ideas, and she flitted from one plan to another with bewildering vacillation. Eager, youthful, and sweet, 
and he marked that it was far easier to watch her and listen to her than it was to work. Therefore he gave her tasks that necessitated her going often to the cave where he had stored his packs. Upon the last of these trips, when he was some distance down the terrace and out of the sight of the camp, he heard a scream and then the sharp barking of the dogs. For an instant he straightened up amazed. Danger for her had been absolutely out of his mind. She'd seen a rattlesnake or a wildcat. Still, she would not have been likely to scream at sight of either, and the barking of the dogs was ominous. Dropping his work, he dashed back along the terrace. Upon breaking through a clump of aspens, he saw the dark form of a man in the camp. Cold then hot, Venters burst into frenzied speed to reach his guns. He was cursing himself for a thoughtless fool when the man's tall form became familiar, and he recognized Lassiter. Then the reversal of emotions changed his run to a walk. He tried to call out, but his voice refused to carry. When he reached camp, there was Lassiter, staring at the white-faced girl. By that time, Ring and Whitey had recognized him. "'Hello, Venters, I'm making you a visit,' said Lassiter slowly. "'And I'm some surprised to see you've uh, a young feller for company.' One glance had sufficed for the keen writer to read Bess's real sex and for once his cool calm had deserted him. He stared till the white of Bess's cheeks flared into crimson. That, if it were needed, was the concluding evidence of her femininity, for it went fittingly with her sun-tinted hair and darkened dilated eyes, the sweetness of her mouth, and the striking symmetry of her slender shape. Ugh, Lassiter, panted Venters when he caught his breath. What relief! It's only you! Well, how in the name of all this wonderful! How did you ever get here? I trailed you. We, uh, I wanted to know where you was, if you had a safe place. So I trailed you. Trailed me, cried Venters bluntly. I reckon it was... Some of a job after I got to them smooth rocks, I was all day tracking you up to them little cut steps in the rock. Now the rest was easy. Where's your hoss? I hope you hit him. I tied him in them queer cedars down on the slope. He can't be seen from the valley. That's good. Well, well I'm completely dumbfounded. It was my idea that no man could track me in here. Mm, I reckon, but if there's a tracker in these uplands as good as me, he can find you. That's bad. That'll worry me. But, Lassiter, now you're here, I'm glad to see you. And, uh, well, my companion here is not a young fellow. Best, this is a friend of mine. He saved my life once. The embarrassment of the moment did not extend to Lassiter. Almost at once, his manner as he shook hands with Bess, relieved Venters and put the girl at ease. After Venters' words, and one quick look at Lassiter, her agitation stilled. And although she was shy, 
if she were conscious of anything out of the ordinary in the situation, certainly she did not show it. I reckon I'll only stay a little while, Lassiter was saying, and if you don't mind troubling, I'm hungry. I fetched some biscuits along, but they're gone. Venters, this place is sure the wonderfulest ever seen. Them cut steps on the slope, that outlet into the gorge, and it's like climbing up through hell into heaven to climb through that gorge into this valley. There's a queer-looking rock at the top of the passage. I didn't have time to stop. I'm wondering how you ever found this place. It's sure interesting. During the preparation and eating of dinner, Lassiter listened mostly, as was his wont, and occasionally he spoke in his quaint and dry way. Venters noted, however, that the writer showed an increasing interest in Bess. He asked her no questions, and only directed his attention to her while she was occupied and had no opportunity to observe his scrutiny. It seemed to Venters that Lassiter grew more and more absorbed in his study of Bess, and that he lost his coolness in some strange softening sympathy. Then quite abruptly he rose and announced the necessity for his early departure. He said goodbye to Bess in a voice gentle and somewhat broken, and turned hurriedly away. Venters accompanied him, and they had traversed the terrace, climbed the weathered slope, and passed under the stone bridge before either spoke again. Then Lassiter put a great hand on Venter's shoulder and wheeled him to meet a smoldering fire of gray eyes. Lassiter, I couldn't tell Jane, I couldn't, burst out Venter's reading his friend's mind. I tried, but I couldn't. She wouldn't understand. She has troubles enough, and I love the girl. Venter's, I reckon this beats me. I've seen some queer things in my time, too. This girl, who is she? I don't know. Don't know? Who is she, then? I don't know that, either. Oh, it's the strangest story you ever heard. I must tell you, but you'll never believe. Venters, women were always puzzles to me, but for all that, if this girl ain't a child or as innocent... I'm no fit person to think of virtue and goodness in anybody. Are you going to be square with her? I am, so help me God. I reckon so. Uh, maybe my temper oughtn't let me to make sure. But man, she's a woman in all but years. She's sweeter in the sage. Lassiter, I know, I know. And the hell of it is that in spite of her innocence and charm, she's... She's not what she seems. Uh, I wouldn't want to. Of course, I couldn't call you a liar, Venters, said the older man. What's more, she was Oldring's masked rider. Venters expected to floor his friend with that statement, but he was not in any way prepared for the shock his words gave. For an instant, he was astounded to see Lassiter stunned, then his own passionate eagerness to unbosom himself to tell the wonderful story precluded any other thought. Son, tell me all about this, presently said Lassiter as he seated himself on a stone 
and wiped his moist brow. Thereupon Venters began his narrative, at the point where he had shot the rustler and Aldring's masked rider, and he rushed through it, telling all, not holding back even Bess's unreserved avowal of her love or his deepest emotions. That's the story, he said, concluding. I love her, though I've never told her. If I did tell her, I'd be ready to marry her, and that seems impossible in this country. I'd be afraid to risk taking her anywhere. So I intend to do the best I can for her here. The longer I live, the stranger life is, mused Lassiter with downcast eyes. I'm reminded of something you once said to Jane about hands in her game of life. There's that unseen hand of power and Tull's black hand and my red one and your indifferent one and the girl's little brown helpless one. Inventors, there's another one that's all wise and all wonderful. And that's the hand God and Jane Witherstein's game of life. Your story is one today's a far clearer head than mine. I can't offer no advice. Even if you ask for it, maybe I can help you. Anyway, I'll hold Oldrin up when he comes to the village. I'll find out about this girl. I knew the rustler years ago. He'll remember me. Lassiter, if I ever meet Oldring, I'll kill him, cried Venters with sudden intensity. I reckon that'd be perfectly natural, replied the rider. Make him think Bess is dead, as she is to him in that old life. Sure, sure, son, uh, cool down now. If you're gonna begin pulling guns on Toll and Aldrin, you want to be cool. I reckon, though, you'd better keep hid here. Well, I must be leaving. One thing, Lassiter, you'll not tell Jane about Bess. Please don't. I reckon not, but I wouldn't be afraid to bet that after she'd got over anger at your secrecy, Venter, she'd be furious once in her life. She'd think more of you. I don't mind saying for myself that I think you're a good deal of a man. In the further ascent, Venter's halted several times with the intention of saying goodbye. Yet, he changed his mind and kept on climbing till they reached Balancing Rock. Lassiter examined the huge rock listened to Venter's idea of its position and suggestion, and curiously placed a strong hand upon it. Hold on, cried Venters. I heaved at it once and have never gotten over my scare. Well, you do seem uncommon nervous, replied Lassiter, much amused. As for me, why, I always had the funniest notion to roll stones. When I was a kid, I did it, and the bigger I got, the bigger stones I'd roll. Ain't that funny? Honest, even now, I often get off my horse just to tumble a big stone over a precipice and watch it drop and listen to it bang and boom. I've started some slides in my time, and don't you forget it. I never seed a rock I wanted to roll as bad as this one. Wouldn't there be just roaring, crashing hell down that trail? You'd close the outlet forever, exclaimed Venters. Well, goodbye, Lassiter. 
keep my secret, and don't forget me, and be mighty careful how you get out of the valley below. The Rustler's Canyon isn't more than three miles up the pass. Now you've tracked me here, I'll never feel safe again. In his descent to the valley, Venter's emotion roused to stirring pitch by the recital of his love story, quieted gradually, and in its place came a sober, thoughtful mood. All at once he saw that he was serious, because he would never more regain his sense of security while in the valley. What Lassiter could do, another skillful tracker might duplicate. Among the many riders with whom Venters had ridden, he recalled no one who could have taken his trail at Cottonwoods and have followed it to the edge of the bare slope in the pass, let alone up that glistening smooth stone. Lassiter, however, was not an ordinary rider. Instead of hunting cattle tracks, he had likely spent a goodly portion of his life tracking men. It was not improbable that among Old Ring's rustlers there was one who shared Lassiter's gift for trailing. And the more Venters dwelt on this possibility, the more perturbed he grew. Lassiter's visit, moreover, had a disquieting effect upon Bess, and Venters fancied that she entertained the same thought as to future seclusion, the breaking of their solitude, though by a well-meaning friend, had not only dispelled all its dream and much of its charm, but had instilled a canker of fear. Both had seen the footprint in the sand. Venters did no more work that day. Sunset and twilight gave way to night, and the canyon bird whistled its melancholy notes, and the wind sang softly in the cliffs, and the campfire blazed and burned down to red embers. To Venters a subtle difference was apparent in all of these, or else the shadowy change had been in him. He hoped that on the morrow this slight depression would have passed away. In that measure, however, he was doomed to disappointment. Furthermore, Bess reverted to a wistful sadness that he had not observed in her since her recovery. His attempt to cheer her out of it resulted in a dismal failure and consequently in a darkening of his own mood. Hard work relieved him. Still, when the day had passed, his unrest returned. Then he set to deliberate thinking, and there came to him the startling conviction that he must leave Surprise Valley and take Bess with him. As a writer, he had taken many chances, and as an adventurer in Deception Pass, he had unhesitatingly risked his life. But now he would run no preventable hazard of Bess's safety and happiness and he was too keen not to see that hazard. It gave him a pang to think of leaving the beautiful valley, just when he had the means to establish a permanent and delightful home there. One flashing thought tore in hot temptation through his mind. Why not climb up into the gorge, roll balancing rock down the trail, and close forever the outlet to deception pass. Well, that was the beast in me showing his teeth 
muttered Venture scornfully. I'll just kill him good and quick. I'll be fair to this girl if it's the last thing I do on earth. Another day went by, in which he worked less, and pondered more, and all the time covertly watched Bess. Her wistfulness had deepened into downright unhappiness, and that made his task to tell her all the harder. He kept the secret another day, hoping by some chance she might grow less moody. And to his exceeding anxiety, she fell into far deeper gloom. Out of his own secret, and the torment of it, he divined that she also had a secret, and the keeping of it was torturing her. As yet he had no plan thought out in regard as to how or when to leave the valley, but he decided to tell her the necessity of it and to persuade her to go. Furthermore, he hoped his speaking out would induce her to unburden her own mind. Bess, what's wrong with you? he asked. Nothing, she answered with averted face. Venters took hold of her gently, though masterfully, and forced her to meet his eyes. You can't look at me and lie, he said. Now what's wrong with you? You're keeping something from me. Well, I've got a secret, too, and I intend to tell it presently. Oh, I have a secret. I was crazy to tell you when you came back. That's why I was so silly about everything. I kept holding my secret back, gloating over it. But when Lassiter came, I got an idea that changed my mind, and then I hated to tell you. Are you going to now? Yes, yes, I was coming to it. I tried yesterday, but you were so cold. I was afraid I couldn't keep it much longer. Well, well, most mysterious lady, tell your wonderful secret. You needn't laugh, she retorted with a first glimpse of reviving spirit. I can take the laugh out of you in one second. It's a go. She ran through the spruces to the cave and returned carrying something which was manifestly heavy. Upon nearer view, he saw that whatever she held with such evident importance had been bound up in a black scarf he well remembered. That alone was sufficient to make him tingle with curiosity. Have you any idea what I did in your absence? she asked. I imagine you lounged about waiting and watching for me. He replied, smiling. I've my share of conceit, you know. You're wrong. I worked. Look at my hands. She dropped on her knees close to where he sat, and carefully depositing the black bundle, she held out her hands. The palms and inside of her fingers were white, puckered and worn. Why, Bess, you've been fooling in the water, he said. Fooling? Look here. With deft fingers, she spread open the black scarf, and the bright sun shone upon a dull, glittering heap of gold. Gold! he ejaculated. Yes, gold. See, pounds of gold. I've found it, washed it out of the stream, picked it out grain by grain, nugget by nugget. Gold! he cried. Yes. Now... Now laugh at my secret. For a long minute, Venters gazed. 
Then he stretched forth a hand to feel if the gold was real. Gold, he almost shouted. Bess, there are hundreds, thousands of dollars worth here. He leaned over to her and put his hand, strong and clenching now on hers. Is there more where this came from? he whispered. Plenty of it, all the way up to the stream to the cliff. You know, I've often washed for gold, and then I've heard men talk. I think there's no great quantity of gold here, but enough for for a fortune for you. That was your secret? Yes, I hate gold, for it makes men mad. I've seen them drunk with joy and dance and fling themselves around. I've seen them curse and rave. I've seen them fight like dogs and roll in the dust. I've seen them kill each other for gold. Is that why you hated to tell me? Not, not altogether. Bess lowered her head. It was because I knew you'd never stay here long after you found gold. You were afraid I'd leave you? Yes. Listen, you great, simple child, listen, you sweet, wonderful, wild, blue-eyed girl. I was tortured by my secret. It was that I knew we, we must leave the valley. We can't stay here much longer. I couldn't think how we'd get away out of the country or how we'd live if we ever got out. I'm a beggar. That's why I kept my secret. I'm poor. It takes money to make way beyond sterling. We couldn't ride horses or burrows or walk forever. So while I knew we must go, I was distracted over how to go and what to do. And now we've gold. Once beyond sterling, we'll be safe from rustlers. And we've no others to fear. Oh, listen, Bess. Venters now heard his voice ringing high and sweet, and he felt Bess's cold hands in his crushing grasp as she leaned toward him, pale, breathless. This is how much I'd leave you. You made me live again. I'll take you away, far away from this wild country. You'll begin a new life. You'll be happy. You shall see cities, ships, people. You shall have anything your heart craves. All the shame and sorrow of your life shall be forgotten, as if they had never been. This is how much I'd leave you here alone, you sad-eyed girl. I love you. Didn't you know it? How could you fail to know it? I love you. I'm free. I'm a man, a man you've made. No more a beggar. Kissed me. This is how much I'd leave you here alone, you beautiful, strange, unhappy girl. But I'll make you happy. What What do I care for your past? I love you. I'll take you home to Illinois, to my mother. And then I'll take you to far places. I'll make up all you've lost. Oh, I know you love me, knew it before you told me, and it changed my life. And you'll go with me, not as my companion as you are here, nor my sister, but best, darling, as my wife. Join me next time for another exciting chapter of Riders of the Purple Sage by Zane Gray here on the Sagebrush Trail.